Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. I'm just, I'm so excited to share the word with you guys this morning. I want to talk with you guys about heaven. We have so much available to us right now that we don't even realize. I feel like the, 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 most of us, the everyday, you know, Christian, we go through our routine and we, we kind of forget that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Did you know that God, uncreated, infinite, eternal God, created you to be a temple of his Holy Spirit so that he could actually live inside of you? Like, let that blow your mind for a minute. God. In, infinite, uncreated, all-powerful, almighty God created you in a human frame with skin to be a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Whew, that's crazy. God is crazy. Sometimes I just think, God, you're crazy because that doesn't make sense. Like, it's a miracle. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's a miracle right now that your body does not explode. <laughs> Because he's so powerful. But we have access to so much more than we realize. I, my friend Corey Russell, he's, from, he's a teacher from the House of Prayer. He goes, we actually, he goes, uh, imagine your, your, your spirit as, a, as an ATM machine. He goes, we have access to a billion dollars a day, but we're living off of 10 cents. If you guys instantly became a billionaire today, I guarantee you, you would be living a little differently than you are now. There's any billionaires in the house? take that tithe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, no, um, <laughs> but we do. We have access to so much. Eternity is, is, is here. We don't need to wait for eternity. We don't need to wait until we die to experience the fullness of God. I want to tell you that. We do not need to wait until we spend our 70 or 80 years on this earth to experience um, what the Lord has for us. Heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's available now. On this side of eternity, on this side of time. Um, I've been reading this book. It's a, it's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. I would highly encourage you, if you are looking for a new book to read. I don't even like reading, <laughs> but I love this book. It's so easy to read, and it's so informative. Um, but it's, it's really just kind of shaped my perspective on, on what heaven actually is, um, the availability that we have it have to it right now, uh, but he opens the book with this quote. He said, "A man setting about to set sail for Australia or New Zealand as a settler is naturally anxious to know something about his future home, its climate, its employments, its inhabitants, its ways, its customs." All these are subjects of deep interest to him. You are leaving the land of your nativity. And you are going to spend the rest of your life in a new hemisphere. It would be strange indeed if you did not desire information about your new abode. Now surely if we hope to dwell forever in that better country or even a heavenly country, we ought to seek all the knowledge we can get about it before we go to our eternal home and we should try to become acquainted with it. It would be preposterous for you to move to New Zealand without knowing anything about New Zealand. Right? 
Of course, you're going to look for work. You're going to, what's the currency like? What's the customs like? What are the traditions like? You know, we're, you're going to become acquainted with it before you get there. So there is, there is this deception in the body of Christ today. And the enemy has, has come at the body of Christ trying to get us to focus on other things or even slander the place that we're going to be in for eternity so that we don't get excited about it, so that we don't know what's coming for us, so that we don't live like we're living for eternity. There is an attack against our minds right now. Did you know in Revelation chapter 13, verse 6, it says that there's a, um, at the end of the age, there's a beast, that say, a satanic beast that opens his mouth and he, he blasphemes God and it says he slanders three things, God's name, God's people, and God's dwelling place. Isn't that crazy? And I, I thought that was weird when I first read it. I mean, yes, I mean, obviously the enemy doesn't like God, doesn't like us. But I thought it was odd that the enemy would slander God's dwelling place. The enemy comes at us and he lies to us about what eternity is going to be like. He lies to us about what our inheritance is. He lies to us about the inheritance that we have because Jesus came and died for us on the cross, gave us salvation, gave us eternal life. But so many people actually are scared of eternal life because it sounds boring to them. How many of you guys have seen that old far side cartoon of the guy just like floating by on a cloud every billion years and he's like, hey, Bill. Like he's got his harp and he's just like every billion years he, he floats by his friend. And people read that and they think it's true. Like what are we going to do for a billion years with a harp on a cloud in this ethereal state? Have you guys ever thought that? Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean... That's, so many people in the body of Christ actually believe something like that, but we neglect the truth about what the Word of God says about our eternal home. There is so much in Scripture. There is so much to be inspired by, and there's so much to be excited about if we would just give ourselves to the study of it in the Word of God and actually ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. It's interesting to, uh, to me that the enemy is so interested in slandering a place. But that place he's actually cursing used to be his dwelling place. Isn't that crazy? He's slandering a place that he used to live in before he was forcibly evicted from it. And so how maddening it must be for him to know that we, the people of God, get to live in the place where he used to dwell and to take over his former occupation as the lead worshipers in heaven. Did you know that Lucifer was the main worship leader in heaven? No more. We get to take his spot. He don't like that. <laughs> he doesn't like that. It's no wonder that he's so jealous and angry about it. He gets to watch us partake in the inheritance that used to be his. No wonder he slanders the place. Because he doesn't want us to go there. He doesn't want us to be excited about it. Satan, uh, uh, Randy Alcorn in his book says, Satan need not convince us that heaven doesn't exist. He only needs to convince us that heaven is a place of boring, unearthly existence. I want to tell you this morning, heaven is anything but boring. Corey Russell, again, I, I feel like I quote him all the time, but he's got so many quotable quotes. He, he, always, he always says, like, when you read the Bible and it's boring, it's not because the Bible's boring. It's because you're boring. Can I just be real with you? If you think about heaven and you think it's boring, it's not because heaven's boring. It's because your perception of heaven is boring. Right? Is that okay? Can I just, can I, can I tell you like it is? All right. 
Heaven is anything but boring. I want to read to you this passage in Revelation 21. Revelation 21 and 22, I just want to encourage you guys to dive into this passage. It's, it's one of the most powerful, descriptive passages on what heaven is like. Starting at verse 9, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues and spoke to me, came and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, of the, na- and on the, gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. We'll skip down to verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates. The city lies four square. Its length and is the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. And its length, its width, and height are equal. 12,000 stadia equals about 1,280 miles. High, wide, and long. To give you a little bit of perspective, if the moon were (laughs) cube-shaped, that's about, just imagine the moon coming down and dwelling on the earth. Like, that's a massive city, right? 12,000 stadia, 1,280 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also the angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Beautiful. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, sapphire, I don't know how to say all of those, emerald, onyx, carnelian, chrysolite, beryl, topaz, uh, chrysoprase. Jason, Amethyst, the 12 gates were made of 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. That's a giant oyster, tell you what. That's a, that's a one pearl makes up the gate. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Ooh. That gets me excited. Like, that's, that's where we get to live forever. You guys, in a billion years from now, we will be searching out the truths of the Scripture. Psalm 48 says, walk about Zion. He's talking about the new city, the holy city. He says, walk about Zion. Go all around her. Count her towers. Mark her bulwarks. It's, it's a city that we're going to spend eternity exploring and discovering new things about because it's not made by human hands. It's not made with an, by an infinite or by a finite mind. It's made by an infinite God with infinite revelation. I want to tell heaven is anything but boring. It's not boring. And we're going to be just floating around on a cloud for billions and billions of years, bored out of our minds, singing songs with a harp. (laughs) I promise you, that's not going to happen. And I want to tell you that we actually have access to it right now. Maybe not in a full capacity. uh, The Bible says we look through a mirror dimly. We don't see it in full, but we do have access to it. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hebrews 10 is one of my favorite passages. It's, it's, the song, it's the verse that the song we just sang, You Made a Way, was birthed out of. Um, 
Paul says to the Hebrews, he says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is the veil of his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near in a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You have access right now because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross, because of his death and his resurrection. You have access to an eternal throne on which sits an eternal God. You have access not just to the place that he dwells in, but you actually have access to his heart. You have access to eternity right now. Real, right here, right now. You have access to his heart. You have access to his throne. John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea in Matthew chapter 3. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean, for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand? I was, I was meditating on that verse this week. I was just like, Lord, I've heard that scripture so many times. What does that mean that the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And I, I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within reach. It's within our reach. And that's one thing I want to stir you guys up, church. I want, I want, when we come into these Sunday morning expressions, when we come into these Sunday morning worship services or our Thursday night services or when we go to a Bible study or even when we're at home in our prayer closet, when we're worshiping by ourselves, I want us to come before the Lord with a real reach in our hearts. To stir up hunger. Jesus said in his most famous sermon ever given in Matthew chapter 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. He matches your hunger with his glory. It's what he does. You come to him with hunger, he will meet you there. But if you don't come with expectation, sometimes he'll surprise you. But ask and you shall receive. You have not because why? You ask not. If you come with hunger, with desperation, with real longing and anticipation in your heart when you get before the throne, whether it's in a corporate setting or in your prayer closet by yourself, ask the Lord to meet you there and to show you something new about him, to show you something new about the place that you're going to dwell in forever. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. I don't think that's just a promise for 80 years from now. I think blessed are the pure in heart. John says, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get clean now, because you don't know what's available to you. Get clean. Get your heart clean right now, because the kingdom of heaven is within reach. The things of eternity are within reach. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be filled. Right? In Revelation chapter 1, the book of Revelation is one of my favorite books. In the, it probably is my favorite book in the whole Bible. I love the author of the book of Revelation. John, he's probably my favorite guy in the whole Bible. Um, but John gets exiled to the island of Patmos because he's just being so bold <laughs> about Jesus. The Romans didn't like him very much. Um, they tried to kill him. He wouldn't die. And so they're just like, what are we going to do with John? Let's just put him on an island. What harm can he do from an island? Well, little did they know what was going to happen to John on that island. (laughs) So John 
uh, let's start at uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Before I go any further, I want to let you know, John and Jesus, during Jesus' three-year ministry on the earth, John was Jesus' best friend. John refers to himself in the Gospel of John. This is the same author from the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He refers to himself. He says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, when I first read that, I was like, John's pretty arrogant. That's not nice. Like, the other 11 are going to read that. They're going to be like, what the heck, man? Like, <laughs> like no, John wrote, he, I don't think it was because Jesus loved John any more or differently than the other 11, but John had such a significant revelation in his heart of, of the affections of his Savior for him that he, he was able to humbly refer to himself as, I am the one who Jesus loves. I'm the one who his affections are for. I believe, you know, of the 12, Jesus had his kind of inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And then of the inner circle, I think John was his best friend. John was the one who laid on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. John was the one who was closest to his heart. And so John and Jesus were best friends. So 60 years go by. John's on an island. He's an old man. He's a prisoner on this island of Patmos. And he goes, suddenly I was doing my, I was in the spirit. I was worshiping. I was going about my business. And all of a sudden, I hear this familiar voice behind me. It was like a voice, like a trumpet. And he says, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And upon turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. In, in verse 17, it's John's reaction. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. This is his best friend, you guys. What would you do if you went a 60-year absence from seeing your best friend? One day you hear a knock on your door, you open the door, and there's your best friend 60 years later shining like the sun. <laughs> it was the only right response. John said, I saw him, and I had, I had no option other than to just fall down like I was dead, like a dead man. And so Jesus gives John this beautiful encounter. If you read through, we're not going to go through Revelation 2 and 3 right now. But he gives, he gives John his heart for the seven churches of the day. And, uh, and I don't know what happened, but between the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus somehow vanishes or disappears. I don't know what happened. But John had a choice to make in that moment. John could have got up, shaken the dust off, and said, wow, Jesus, that was... That was awesome. Thank you so much. And he could have gone about his day and finished up his duties as a prisoner. Or he could have done what he actually did. And he got up and was hungry for more. How many of you guys have actually experienced the presence of God before? Hopefully all of us. I felt it this morning. I still feel it now. <laughs> I want to tell you that when you experience the presence of God, I'm going to share an encounter that I had a um, about 
10 years ago. I'm going to share that with you. But I want to tell you that when you encounter the glory and the majesty of God, it doesn't leave you satisfied. It's not like you get up from this encounter that you've had and you're like, oh, man, that was good. I'm good for another 10 years. <laughs> you know, when you have an encounter with the living God, you get up and you crave, even painfully crave more. When John got up from this encounter somewhere between Revelation chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 4, John gets up, he shakes off the dust, and he goes, Where are you, Jesus? I need more. I need more. So Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, immediately John says, After these things, after Revelation 1, 2, and 3, John gets up and he says, I looked. I searched. I hungered. I longed. There was, there was a craving in John's heart to receive more. And this is where... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. This is where that comes in. The Lord matched John's hunger with more encounter. Hunger yields encounter, and encounter yields hunger, and hunger yields encounter, and encounter yields hunger. It's just this endless cycle. If we give ourselves to it, there is infinitely amounts of, of the glory of God that you guys have access to if we give ourselves to the cycle of encounter to hunger. To encounter, to hunger. And sometimes maybe you even like let yourself physically hunger. Maybe fasting is the way to get that next encounter. Maybe, but it, it, it says, the, uh, the Bible says the glory of God is to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of us. It's the glory of kings to search that matter out. God wants to play holy hide and seek with you. He doesn't hide. It's not just a game to him, but he wants to be pursued. Would you pursue him? Would you pursue him? Would you just ask for more? Would you do whatever it takes? What if we got to a place of just complete and total, utter desperation where we said, God, I will do anything just to have another glimpse, just another moment, just another, a passing, fleeting moment, just like Moses on the mountain when he said, God, would you just show me your glory for a moment? What if we got to a place where we were so desperate that we would do anything, that we would fast for 40 days with just water so that we could have just a moment? In his presence. David says just a, just a day in your house is, like, is better than a thousand days anywhere else. Church, I want us to be desperate. I want us to be a house. I don't want to be just another church. I don't want to be just a place to come to fulfill our Sunday morning obligation. I want us to be a house that actually is violently and aggressively going after the presence of God to get everything that we possibly can. I don't want God to say, you could have had more. I don't want, at the end of my life, I don't want God to look at me and say, you lived well, but you could have had more. If you would have just asked me for more. I want the more now. I want as much of him now on this side of eternity that I can have before I get there. I want to know him. I want to, when I get to eternity, I want him, I want his face to be a familiar face. I want the atmosphere of heaven to have a sense of familiarity to me where, oh yes, this feels good. I knew this. I knew this was here. So how do we access heaven now? How do we get that fullness? How do we get ourselves to a place of desperation? Well, number one, we need to read the word of God. God speaks to us primarily through this book. And he will not speak anything to you that is contradictory to this book. 
This is our foundation. This is the word of God. And I want to tell you, there are so many passages about heaven and the glory realm. I think of Ezekiel chapter one. It's so fascinating to me. I don't even fully understand it, but that's the point, I think. I think God just wants to blow our minds with who he is. It talks about God coming on a whirlwind of fire. It talks about the cherubim with the spirit of the cherubim is in the wheels that carry the carry the platform that carries the throne and there just it comes in a whirlwind of fire it's crazy Isaiah chapter 6 talks about the throne room in heaven and the seraphim the same throne room that John's seeing in Revelation 4 Daniel 9 says he saw one like the son of man Revelation 21 and 22 we just read it there are so many vivid detailed descriptions of what heaven and the glory realm is like if we would just search them out and there's so much depth to it more than I, that you can just get by listening to it um, uh, by me reading it to you. But I want you guys to go home and I want you to search out the scriptures. So number one, the word of God. Number two, use your imagination. I want to tell you that your imagination is not something necessarily that is soulish or something that needs to be stifled. Your imagination is a God-given gift. When you take these passages about the, the river flowing from the throne and the streets of gold that are like pure, uh, transparent glass or the, the, the gates made out of a giant, one giant pearl in this 1,280 feet high mountain city, it's not just meant to be read and then forgotten. It's meant to be read and to be uh, accompanied by your God-given imagination. God wants to take you on a guided tour. Let your imagination run free. I want, I want to just give you permission to do that this morning. Use your God-given uh, imagination with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. to Say, God, show me the river. I want to see that river flowing from your throne. Holy Spirit, would you use my imagination and my mind to show me what that looks like, to show me what it's, you know, and just go on this journey with him. It's that simple. Because the Holy Spirit is conversational. He's a real person. He wants to talk to you. He's not someone just to acknowledge that he's there. Yes, sometimes it's just nice to acknowledge that he's in there. <laughs> hey, Holy Spirit. Like, it's good, just, it's good to acknowledge that sometimes. But he, he's a real conversational person. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you things. Use your imagination. It's not something to be stifled or shut down. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We all know this verse very well. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's never entered into the heart of man the things that God has in store for those who love him. And so many of us stop right there. Eye has not seen. So many people actually don't even bother studying about heaven because we can't know because the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's it's. Not, not possible for us to fully understand what it is. But we, we skip the next verse, which says, the, these things God has revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, yes, even the depths of God. Sure, I hasn't seen. The physical eye hasn't seen. Our ears haven't heard. Our minds can't perceive it. Oh, but the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you searches everything. He searches all things. He searches even the deep things of God. And he says, these things are revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So number one, read the word of God. Number two, use your God-given imagination in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to ask him and to take you on a tour and to accompany the word of God with that. Number three, encounter him. (laughs) Encounter him. I want to share with you an encounter that I had 10 years ago, and I was actually really uh, nervous <laughs> uh, to share this with in a, in a public way because it's something that's so deeply special to me and something that may be taken, um, for those who may not be familiar with it, might be taken as, well, Gilman's a weirdo, but like, okay, thank you. Um, but I, w- I was praying about it this week, and Mo had actually asked me, he goes, Matt, you need to share your encounter. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should, uh, just because it's something I don't want to exploit an encounter that I had. Um, but I was praying about it this week after Mo asked me to share it, and, I was, and, and the Lord said, if the enemy goes out of his way to slander the place that you're going to live in forever, I'm going to go out of my way to give my people encounter to set the record straight, to reveal the truth about what it actually is and what it looks like. So can I share this with you for a moment? I know we're going to go past a little bit of time. Um, but I was 18 years old. Wow, this was more than 10 years ago. This was 15 years ago. Woo! Man, I'm old. Um, I was 18 years old. I had just moved to Kansas City. I was an intern at the International House of Prayer. You guys know of IHOP? International House of Prayer. Um, I had given myself to a six-month internship and um, I, I grew up as a Lutheran kid. My dad's a Lutheran pastor. He was ordained into the Lutheran seminary uh, the year that I was born. And so I grew up in a very conservative household. Um, the things of the Holy Spirit, we talked, uh, we knew about the Holy Spirit. We just didn't really do anything with the Holy Spirit. Um, so I went to IHOP. Uh, just long story short, I got baptized in the Spirit when I was 14 turned my life upside down. I went to IHOP, but I still had a lot of those Lutheran roots in me. So I didn't realize all of the things that I'm talking about today, the fact that eternity was available to us and the things of heaven are actually available to us right now. And so about two months in to my time at IHOP, I, uh, I was, the Lord shocked me. He surprised me with this one-month-long season of encounter. I had three um, really significant encounters in the period of about one month. And uh, the first encounter I had, I was like, God, why is this happening to me? I didn't ask for this. I didn't know this was available to me. I'm Lutheran. This doesn't happen to Lutheran kids. Like, like why, are, why, why is this happening to me? And um, how many of you guys know there's no denominations in heaven? <laughs> Let's just set that record straight right now. There's, I don't even get into that because it bothers me. But um, so in, the, in March of 2004... I have this encounter. I'm a really late night guy. I like to stay up late and sleep in late. (laughs) And so, but for some reason, this was a Sunday morning. I woke up at like six o'clock in the morning, which never happened ever in my whole life. Like that was the first time ever this happened. And so the rule in our internship, there was two Sunday morning services. We had to pick one of them to go to. And so all of my roommates were kind of like the same. I lived with five other guys. And so when you live with five other guys in an internship, you don't have time alone. It never happens. I'm an extreme introvert. And so when I, you know, when I woke up at six o'clock in the morning, couldn't get back to sleep, I was like, okay, this is, this is actually perfect. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the early service. I'm going to come back uh, to the apartment. All the other five guys are going to go to the late service. I'm going to have the whole place to myself for like three hours. <sighs> Heaven. And so I do that. 
I go listen to the message. I walk back. All of my other roommates, I, we cross paths as I'm walking back to the apartment. They're going to the late service. And I just go, I go lay on the couch and I turn on um, a teaching on, on the stereo in, our, in my living room. And I'm just like, oh, I have, finally have freedom. I'm, I can be myself. And, uh, you know, I just, I, w- I just lay down on the couch and I was listening to this teaching on my stereo. And I opened my eyes and standing at the foot of my couch, and don't, you might call me crazy, but standing at the foot of my couch in my living room in my apartment in Kansas City was this man, and he was clothed in a white robe, and it, I immediately freaked out. I was like, I locked the door. Who is this guy? Is he going to kill me? What's going on? But there was a real human man in a white robe standing at the foot of my couch in Kansas City, and for a moment, I just, I, I panicked, but I, I realized after a couple seconds that it was Jesus standing in my, in my living room in Kansas City, and he was staring straight at me. He didn't say a word, but as soon as I realized it was him, I got this peace that came over my entire body, and I couldn't move. It was paralyzing. The Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. It was real. It was actually paralyzing me. I could not move, and he just stood there staring at me, smiling, so happy, and he, he uh, was wearing a white robe. He was barefoot, um, he had brown hair, about shoulder length brown hair. He had the, the whitest smile that I'd ever seen. He was so happy. Psalm 45 talks about that Jesus is, uh, had, carries the oil of gladness more than any other man. He's the happiest man who ever lived. It's real. His eyes were so intense. Um, just, I, I can't even fully describe to you what his eyes were, but I could tell he was just staring straight through me. Um, it was just beautiful. His eyes were so beautiful. He definitely looked like a Jewish man. He was relatively short. He was shorter than I was. And um, he doesn't say a word to me. He comes around to the side of my couch, and he kneels down. And, and I knew that I wasn't dreaming because I could still hear the stereo playing. That's, that was my, my, my sign of that. And so he kneels down on the side of the couch. He puts his left hand under my knees, and he puts his right hand under my back, and he lifts me up off the couch and I'm just like, I can't move, I can't do anything. And I'm actually, like, you would think my thoughts would be holier than this in the moment. But I'm actually going, oh, man, I hope my roommates don't walk in right now because are they going to see him too? Are they going to, like, just see me floating in midair? Like, what, <laughs> like what, what's this going to be like for me? And so, so they didn't come in. And, uh, or <laughs> never mind, my mind just went. Um, <laughs> but so he stands me up again like I'm basically putty in his hands I can't really do anything he stands me up he comes around behind me puts his arms around me like this puts his hands over my eyes and then takes them off and all of a sudden we are no longer in my living room we are uh, flying over this massive city and I had never made it to the end of the book of Revelation before at that point in my life the book of Revelation freaked me out um, so I had never read all the way through it but I remember flying over this city and I remember it being so real. And I remember feeling the wind in my face. I remember uh, it was, there was uh, just this pleasant warmth to it. And I, I remember just looking around at this massive city, this wall around the city. And nothing was made out of concrete or asphalt or anything like that. Everything was made out of gold and silver and precious stones. I remember looking through and I, I remember seeing the, the streets of gold, it looked like golden threads weaving through all of the cities. It was the most beautiful thing. There were, were rainbows everywhere. There were so many lights and colors. And there, were, uh, there was this musical pulsating sound that was coming out of the city. Just this it was It was unbelievable. And so I'm looking down. 
And Jesus is pointing at different things around the city to me. And he, does, he still didn't say a word to me, but he's pointing at certain things. On the outskirts of the city, there's real green, like a park area where you just go lay down in the grass. Or, and then in the middle of it, it was like downtown New Jerusalem. <laughs> just like all of these skyscrapers and these beautiful buildings. And he pointed at this one building in the very center of the city like five times. And I, he didn't tell me what it was, but it was the highest point in the city. It kind of looked like the Seattle Space Needle. Have you guys seen the Space Needle before? Look it up if you haven't seen it. But it looked like that. And just my journey in the Word since then, I, I feel like that may be where the throne of God is at. Um, but in the midst of all of these things, as we were flying around this city, I remember looking down. I remember looking down and seeing his arms because he was holding me like this. And I remember looking down and seeing his skin. And I remember seeing the hair on his arms. I remember seeing his fingernails, and I just remember going, oh, Jesus, you're, you're a man. You're a man. And because you're a man, you're not omnipresent, <laughs> and you chose this moment to show this to me. Why? And all of a sudden, I was just filled with a love that I had never felt or experienced before. And it's far surpassed the beauty of the city. The city, you guys, is unbelievably beautiful. But without him there, it's just another place. The point of us living in that city is because that's where Jesus lives. And in that moment, I just remember going, oh, he chose this moment to be with me, to show this to me. He's a human being. Oh, geez, I just felt so loved. I felt so cherished. And he kept, we kept flying around the city for a few more moments. But my focus was, in those last few moments, was not so much on the beauty of the city. It was the love that I had felt, the affection that I had felt from him. And after a few moments, it, he, he put his hands back over my eyes. And he took them off again, and we were back in my living room in Kansas City. And it felt dark and it felt gross compared to where we had just been because it was so beautiful and so bright. But he was still there with me, so I was okay. And so I just, I, I, I remember still feeling that peace. And then he laid me down on the couch and he kneeled down next to me and he put his left hand on my chest. And he looked at me and I saw, it was like tears welling up in his eyes. And this is the first time he spoke to me the whole time. And he said, I'm sorry, but I have to go now. And I was like, no, you can't go. You can't just take me to this place and then bring me back here and leave me here. Like, you, got, you either stay here with me or you bring me back there with you, Jesus. <laughs> like, this is not an option, God. <laughs> and I panicked for a second. I was just like, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't leave me here. Please don't leave me here. Because my heart had experienced what we were created for in eternity. It's not just a place, but a love and an affection far beyond what our minds can understand right now. And I said, no, God, please don't, please don't leave me. Jesus, please don't leave me. Just stay. And he looks at me, and tears just start falling down his cheeks. And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to go now. 
And he stands up and he starts walking away. I don't know, like he's going to walk out the front door. And I just get this burst of energy. It was the first time I had this energy in my, heart, in, my, in my body since I had felt that peace. And I sat straight up and I said, Jesus, come back. Just stay with me. Just be with me, Jesus. Don't leave me. Just be with me. Stay. And I, and I remember watching him as, he's, as he was walking away. And he just stopped in his tracks like this. And I saw his head collapse like this. And he started shaking because he was weeping so hard. And he ran back across the room and he put his hand back on my chest. And as soon as he put his hand on my heart, I felt like this impartation of grace to wait. I still felt the pain. I still felt the pain of the separation, but I felt this grace to wait. And he looks at me, and he's just weeping. And he says, I'm so sorry. I have to go. And it was in that moment, I felt, I, I felt like I heard this conversation between Jesus and his father. The same conversation he was having in the garden before he was arrested in John 17, where he was saying, Father, I desire with fervent desire that those whom you've given me would be with me where I am, that they would behold my glory. And I felt that on a personal level, Jesus was saying, Father, I desire that Matt would be with me where I am, that he would behold my glory. I felt, and he felt the pain. He felt the separation. We were never created to live separately from him. The pain that we feel in the separation is called love sickness. And I want to invite you this morning to a place of love sickness. I want to invite you to a place this morning of desperation for the fullness of what God has for you right here, right now, on this side of time, before we spend our 80 years on this earth unto eternity. We have access right now. And not, we don't have access just to a place. We have access to his holy heart. We have access to his mind. We have access to his emotions because the Holy Spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God. And he desires right now, he desires to make them known to you, to you, to you, to you. The Holy Spirit is desiring to make known his heart to you right now. Would you stand with me, church? Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.